Welcome to the Successfully Unemployed Show. My name is Dustin Heiner, and I'm here to help you learn how to quit that J-O-B, that just overbroke job, by investing, by having a side hustle, being an entrepreneur, being a freelancer, whatever it takes to not work for somebody else, because that's for the birds. Now, today, I'm bringing on a fantastic real estate investing expert who's going to show us how he became an expert and how we can, too. He even has his own TikTok channel that he said one video just took off, and now he's got like 100,000 subscribers or more on TikTok, but he is a great investor showing us how we can become investors as well. All right, let's start the show. Welcome to the Successfully Unemployed Show, the place where ordinary people become extraordinary by finding the path to financial freedom through entrepreneurship, side hustles, and passive income. We've already blazed the path, showing you how to retire early and have financial independence so you will never work for someone else again. And now, here's your host, Dustin Heiner. Hey, what's up, guys? Super pumped to have you here on the Successful Unemployed Show. And I have been blessed to get so many people reaching out and sharing that they've basically found a new way to make money for themselves because, you know, we're all taught go to school, get good grades. Then you take those good grades, you go to college, and you get a piece of paper after getting in thousands and thousands of dollars into debt. Then you take that piece of paper. It's called a degree. And then you go to a job and just hopefully get a job by your interviewing skills and all that stuff. And after you get that job, you're supposed to work there 40, 50 plus years and hopefully retire when you're 65, 70 years old where your life is just about over and live on what you managed to save that entire time when you were working that dead end, just overbroke job. Now, I think that is just... It's sad that we're taught that, but we are. Now, we got to break out of that mindset where that's the only way to make money. There are so many other ways to make money. I invest in real estate. I love rental properties. I also have passive income from other businesses that I create, but there are so many ways. And so I want you to, as you are going through all the successful unemployed shows, literally write down all the ones that really gravitate towards you. It could be writing a children's book. It could be having a bridal store. It could be having online business, whatever it might be. And once you get that list, I want you then to start whittling through each one and figure out which one is exciting to you the most. Let's say you have five different types of investing or businesses or freelancing, whatever it might be. Maybe you like to be a writer, whatever it might be. Get that list and then weed them out one by one of which ones you can do over the long haul. See, now I invest in real estate. I also have podcasts and all that sort of stuff, but I really enjoy real estate. I love talking about real estate. That's why both of them fit hand in hand. You might think, man, I could never do a podcast forever or, you know, until the foreseeable future, until it goes away, or I want to actually quit. Instead, you may be thinking, I love writing. Like, I love editing. I love writing songs, whatever it might be. If you think you could do that for longevity, then put that, whatever, whichever one that is in that list, move that to the top. And here's what I suggest. I suggest you start trying to make money a little bit on the side. You know, you're doing a side hustle from this one thing that you really enjoy doing. Really start getting money coming in. It could be offering your services for free for a couple of friends and clients, but then start charging a little bit of money. And if people are actually paying you money for it and you like it, you can definitely scale that business up so that you can quit your job 
by your business, by your side hustle, by whatever it is that you create. So I want you to keep moving forward. And I am also living out everything I just shared with you. I have also interviewed three fantastic experts who have created conferences for themselves to help other people as well as make money in a business. And in doing that, I realized, man, I could see myself creating a conference. I could really do that. I love being around people. I Hopefully you could probably tell I'm an extrovert. I just love being around people. I love helping people. And a conference is a fantastic way to help lots and lots of people all at one time and getting them connected. And so what I did is I moved that to the top of my list and then I started building out a business. I started trying to figure out if anybody would actually even pay me before I built anything out. In fact, I got my first ticket sold for the conference before I had any really speakers all signed up, before I had any contracts and all that sort of stuff. I literally sold tickets and then realized, man, people want to come to this conference. So now I'm really blessed. The Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference, or RubeCon for short, that is now, we have almost 200 attendees. We have 11 sponsors. We have 27 speakers coming, teaching people how to be successful in real estate investing. It's like literally a no sales pitch conference. It's just teaching, just coaching, just people getting together. And that fact, the tagline is gathering to make investing better. We just want to help everybody out. And so I've literally followed that path and I could see you doing the exact same thing. And what's great is this time, this conference, usually all of my friends have said, if you start a conference, expect, like it's going to almost a certainty that you're going to lose money on your first conference, but it's the next conference and the next conference after that, you're going to start making money. And I've actually been blessed because everything's working out so well. I'm actually not going to lose money. We're past the break even point, And now I'm actually going to be making a little bit of money. I don't like $5. $5 is better than nothing, better than losing money. And you can do this too. Just you need to realize that it's absolutely possible. If somebody else has done it, you can do it too. And RubeCon is gonna be starting next week, like literally next week. It's so exciting that it's gonna happen next week. And if you wanna get your tickets, still time to get your tickets, use my promo code Dustin to get $50 off of your ticket. Go to rubecon.com, R-E-W-B-C-O-N.com and get your ticket. Use Dustin to get that $50 off your pass to get in and learn from some fantastic, 27 fantastic real estate investors. Now today, I'm bringing on another great real estate investor to show us how we can become successfully unemployed. And here is Sean Pan showing us how to invest in real estate. So Sean, you're in Texas right now, and you said that there's a, a blizzard or something like that. So is that different going from California to Texas? Because I know you're an investor, but then you could literally live wherever you want. So was that a big transition going over there? Dude, absolutely. I mean... We understood this is one of the part of the deal, right? Like in Texas, it's great because you don't have any like personal income tax. Uh, things are, are definitely a lot cheaper here. We can get into that a little bit later, but it comes with some of those downsides, such as the weather. Uh, in California, we're going to hit what 50 degrees at like the low point, whereas here right now it's snowing in my backyard. And of course, in the high point in Texas, it gets like crazy hot. <laughs> whereas in the Bay Area, you know, you hit like mid 90s, if that. So I don't even have an air conditioning system in my home in the Bay Area, whereas here it's like a necessity. Otherwise, you know, you might die. Absolutely. I'm in Arizona. And if you don't have AC in Arizona, it's rough. I, well, I will say that my mother-in-law does remind me all the time. That, oh, yeah, when I was young, when I was like, like, I don't know, 10, and she calls it refrigeration. We didn't have refrigeration, which we call AC now, but uh, we didn't have refrigeration. We had to sleep on our patios and then take wet towels 
and hang them up because, you know, a little bit of wind and it kind of cools it off. And <laughs> that was their version of uh, air conditioning back then. But yeah, air conditioning is so key in these states. But I could see from the Bay Area. Now, it seems like living in the Bay Area, it, you definitely have to have a little bit of money to do that. Now, you are successful or you're almost successful. In a place. You still have your own job. Now, it's, it's financing. Is that correct? That's right. So actually, it's funny. I used to work full-time as an engineer, right? I used to be an engineer working for a defense contracting company, but I actually left that job to do real estate investing full-time, but just that I found I had too much time on my hands. So I was like, this is not, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't feel fulfilled. So when I had the opportunity to come back uh, to work, I was lucky that I'm working in a field that I enjoy, right? So I'm still in the real estate investing field all day, every day. I'm talking to other real estate investors like yourself. And I'm doing hard money loans for them. So that is my full-time job, but it is in the same niche that I do everything else anyway. I know what you mean. Like, well, when I quit my job, it was in 2017. And I was, for about a year, I didn't do much. Like I, I literally just, I, went, I don't went to the gym. I don't know, the family would travel. We love traveling. So we traveled, I want to say we went to Japan. Yeah, we went to Japan for six weeks, just drove all the way around, you know, 2,000 miles around the island of Japan. And uh, on the left-hand side of the road, which was rather fun, but I didn't, I didn't do a whole lot. But then I started realizing, man, there could be helping people. So with Master Passive Income, my other brand, um, I love just showing people how to invest in real estate. It's just fun now because I have so much extra time. I'm like, let me just you know use it for good things. Now, tell me a little bit, Sean, about what you were doing before you started investing and started changing your life by investing in real estate. And how did you make the jump into investing and then now obviously being in finance or hard money loans and everything like that. Yeah. So I guess the long and short of it is I went to school, did everything that everyone told us to do, got good grades, went to UCLA for a degree in electrical engineering. And I worked at companies like Boeing and Northrop Grumman working on uh, satellite programs for defense. And uh, while that was interesting, it wasn't my dream job. You know, there are some people who, when they're like eight, nine years old, they look up in the stars, they have posters all over their ceiling, whatever. And they love space. That wasn't my case. For me, I kind of just fell into it. And while the job was cool, uh, I didn't see myself working there for the rest of my career. In fact, the, the part that hit me the most was when I was talking to my older coworkers, people who were my dad's age, maybe in their mid fifties or early sixties. And they were kind of just telling me all the regrets that they did, right? Like they wish they took more risks when they were younger. They wish they tried different jobs and they wish they tried more businesses. And I looked at them thinking, wow, here I am in my early 20s, and I'm doing the same job as someone in their 50s. So this person really didn't change their career. Is that what I'm going to be like? Am I going to just keep working here? I thought, this is not where I want to be. I want to have you know, control of my own destiny. Uh, and so that's why I started like exploring different business ventures. I tried different things like selling products online, uh, selling you know, uh, e-books and whatnot. But ultimately, the only thing that really became a solid business plan was real estate investing. I understood that as long as you buy a property right, then the property will cash flow for you. And as long as you have a certain number, all you need is a certain number of properties so that you can pay for all your expenses and then leave whatever situation you're part of. Um, so that was my basic journey to real estate investing. I started going to different meetup groups, meeting a bunch of people, bought my own properties. Uh, but I understood, you know, if you still work at your job for a little bit longer, you can acquire more capital and buy more properties. So I just kept doing that until 2019 when I left my job as an engineer. That's good for you. Yeah, that's something that, well, how old were you when you were able to do that? Uh, finally leave? Yeah. Yeah, so I finally left it when I was 29 years old. That's awesome. I started investing when I was 27. I wish I would have started so much earlier than that. I didn't realize about investing until then. 
Then it took me about nine years to eventually, I had at six years, I had enough money to quit my job because of all the rental properties that I had, but it took a lot to, it took a lot of guts for me. Like I, it was a risk tolerance to say, Oh, I'm going to quit my job. That's that, you know, that W2 that comes in every single two weeks is really nice. Like it just, it makes you feel comfortable dropping that. It, it's a whole nother thing. So that's awesome. Good for you. So at 29 years old, you're able to quit. Now talk to us a little about if we were to be in your shoes and we wanted to start investing. Do you have to have a lot of money? Like, do you have to be an engineer to actually buy real estate? Is there other things that you can do to get started than having a lot of money and being really smart like an engineer? You know, I have met several people who are able to invest in real estate without any money, right? They do different crazy things like seller financing or other kind of creative real estate investing strategies. Personally, though, I have not done that, right? For me, most of my investments have been, you know, your traditional 20% down, buy a property, take those funds, buy another property. Um, we have ventured into some commercial real estate as well. But at the end of the day, uh, I do come from a background thinking that I think you should have a good, solid financial base before you go in and invest in real estate. Again, there are people who do it without any money, but I think it takes a lot, a lot, a lot, lot more work to do it that way versus the traditional method of having the money for down payment, being able to qualify for good loans and just you know slowly building it over, like you said, a decade. You spend a decade building your portfolio. I agree. And it is like people can buy homes with no and low money down, but it's super hard. Like it's crazy hard. In fact, I don't take on any students that don't have $10,000 of their own money because it's just so much work on their point. They're going to, they're going to give up because it's just that much work. So I love that idea that it doesn't take a lot of money, but you need some, you need some financial understanding too. Like you, you need to know that getting into debt is bad. Like if you don't know that and you're going to get worse and worse in debt, then we got to get that out of the way first. You know, I find some people, they're also thinking, okay, I'm going to have all $10,000 I've saved up through my entire lifetime. And I'm going to drop onto one property. And even then I'm like, that doesn't sound like a good idea either, right? Like for us, I put down $20,000 per property, but I also have another $20,000 in cash somewhere in case something happens. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's two ways to think about it, right? So was it single family homes? Was it multifamily? Because you're living in the Bay Area, it seems like, right? You at the time. And then how did you find that good the first property? Just to be clear, most of my investments aren't actually in California. Um, California Smart, is, <laughs> I mean, it's expensive there. That's what it comes down to it. If I could, I would, right? I yeah. believe the appreciation potential in the Bay Area is amazing. Uh, my personal residence doubled in value since I bought it in 2015. But my property is over uh, out of state, you know, in like Florida and Georgia and Texas. These properties values have increased as well, and the rents have increased. But more importantly, when you buy the property, the rents are so high relative to the purchase price that the rents can cover all of your expenses. Like you mentioned on my podcast a couple of days ago, uh, it covers your mortgage payments, it covers your property management fees, it co covers your utilities, it covers everything. Whereas in California, your mortgage, your, your monthly rental payments won't even cover your mortgage. So you're going to be holding on to something that's going to be bleeding you money for several years until the rents catch up to those payments. That is super correct. And that's something that when I was investing, when I first started, I was in California when I first started and I invested in Ohio. The reason why is because in 2006, prices were just going off the charts and I couldn't rent it for any amount of money for passive income. And that's what I wanted to use to quit my job was to have the passive income to not work because I had money coming in. So in getting that first property, you said you invested out of state. Is that hard to do? Is that something that anybody can do? I think the hardest part is the mental part of investing. When it comes down to it, what you really need is money, right? You need the money to buy it and the deal to, to, to invest in. But 
the mental part is very difficult. Like, how do you trust someone out of state? How do you trust that this property is going to be well taken care of? How do you trust that a tenant from 3,000 miles away is going to pay you rent on a timely manner? And also, like, how do you how do you trust that this property you buy isn't going to be taken away from a hurricane? Because you see all these crazy things on the news. Going back to what you told me on my podcast a few days ago, what we did was we decided what markets we want to invest in first. So that's probably the most important part. And then second thing is building your boots on the ground team. So there's several people that you need to have. You need to have a good property manager. And hey, guys, get my real estate investing course absolutely for free. Text the word rental, R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777. Rental to 33777. And I'll give you, literally give you my real estate investing course showing you how to find an area of the country to invest, how to build the business first, how to scale the business, buy the right properties, making $250 or more every single month in passive income. I'll literally just give it to you. You can get started investing right away. Text the word rental to 33777. A good agent and a good lender. Those are the hardest parts, to be honest. And for me, it took me about a whole year from when I decided, yes, I want to start investing in real estate to when I actually pulled the trigger and bought my first property. Because I had to get through all those mental roadblocks of being able to think, okay, I trust in my data, in my gut that this location that I'm investing in is good for me. And that these people that I've spoken to are going to be good team members. And then finally finding the deal and executing and actually buying it. So going out of state business, it's it's not it's not something that is crazy hard. It's just like you said, you have to be able to have the risk tolerance to be able to say, yes, I'm going to be okay with not living five miles away from my house, but then at the same time building your team, which is great. Now, if we're going to scale the business, meaning buy more properties, make more money, be able to quit our job, is that something that is really hard to do? Or do we get creative and talk to people like you and like your, your current you know job that you're working now uh, as a hard money lender? Is that something that we can do to get creative to buy properties? Like we mentioned before, the hardest part is finding location and building that team. But once you have the systems going, then it's just a matter of finding the funds to actually close on more deals. Case in point, we're in our contract right now for a seven property portfolio because we already have the team set up. We have financing in place. So for us, it's just a matter of saying, yes, we want it. And nothing else needs to be done, right? It's scalable. There are different ways to finance real estate deals besides just your typical bank loan from like a Wells Fargo or Chase. Not every lender needs 20% down. Uh, not every lender will look at your debt to income ratio, your W-2s, your tax returns, et cetera. So, I mean, I guess to transition to your point, I do work as a hard money lender now. And again, that's great for me because I fund a lot of real estate investors fix and flip projects, but then we also have a nice 30-year long-term product as well. So for those of you who don't know, after a certain amount of properties that you own or loans that you have, the regular banks will just cut you off. They'll say, hey, you're too risky of a client. You have over 10 loans. We can't give you more loans. I'm sorry. Or if you're you know, successfully unemployed like yourself or entrepreneur, for the most part, real estate investors and business owners, we want to reduce the amount of tax we have as much as possible, right? So we take all kinds of deductions, depreciation, write-offs here and there. So what happens is, on paper, it looks like we make no profit. In reality, we may have made a lot of profit, but on paper, it looks like we made no profit. So when you show those tax returns to a lender, they're going to look at your w- or they're going to look at your tax return and say, "Oh, you have, you made no money this year. We can't give you a loan." <laughs> right? So that's where programs like ours come into play because we care more about the property itself. Does the property cash flow? And based on that cash flow, can we give you the loan or not? So those are like the key differences there. Yeah, and the reason why I chuckled is because. I've been there. I, I, I think it's been five years since I 
Quit my job? It's not easy to get a loan from regular banks without having a W-2 job. You know, where you have that paycheck coming in, banks just want to make sure that they're going to get their money back, number one. Then they want to make sure that they're going to make money on top of that. So that's the biggest thing. Like, if they're not having a guaranteed source of income that they think of, you know, there's a job. Like, but mine is so much more. I could get fired in two seconds. We could have the coronavirus come through and like turn, close everybody down. My business is literally so much more secure because everybody needs a place to live. And so it's going to be so much more money coming in. But having something outside of the bank, meaning a hard money lender, somebody that can has more creative way to get financing, it's much better to be able to utilize that. Now, you will pay a little bit more. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. You'll pay a little bit more because you're not going through traditional financing. There's You have to pay a premium to be able to do that. Is that a lot of money? Should we be concerned about that? Or is that just a cost of doing business? So let's think about this. Right now, we're doing a cash out refinance for one of our rental properties. And my wife is doing it as a through a conventional lender. Our rate right now in this current market is going to be either in the low to mid fours. So that's worth conventional financing for the same thing using a DSCR and that's for an investment type property. Room. So people might be thinking, Correct. well, there should be like three. No, no, no. This is for an investment property. Exactly. Thanks for clarifying. So it's for an investment property and it's a cash out refinance. So cash out refis are generally more expensive anyway. Uh, yeah, we're going to be in like somewhere in the mid, mid fours. For a DSCR type loan, that same profile would probably be in the low to mid fives. So you are paying a little bit, but it's not the end of the world. No, it's definitely not. Definitely not. I mean, but but the big thing is you probably, investors like us, we might not even be able to get the loan from a bank. Meaning you even though it's like, let's say four, four and a half percent, you can't get it. And so it's okay. You're going to have to be able to pay just a little bit more. But here's a great thing I love. I don't pay my mortgage. I don't pay the principal and interest. I don't pay any of that stuff. I don't pay for taxes, insurance. My tenants pay for that. As long as I account for that before I buy the property, account for that increase in, you know, let's say interest rate to 5%, whatever it is, you account for that, you're going to be totally fine because you're helping yourself out by making sure the tenants pay for that. Okay, so when we're scaling the business- Actually, I want to add this thing too. Yeah. I would say that the best thing or the best people to get this type of loan are investors who already do have that scale. Like they already have 10 plus properties and they can't get, like you said, they can't even get a loan in the first place. So before what they were doing is they were going to private money lenders and they would say, okay, I want to loan at 80%, but I'll give you 8% under money. And at the time, that was a good deal because um, the eight percent, even though it's a lot, it can cover it can be covered by the uh, the tenants. Now, when we come in at you know five percent or even four point five percent, they think that's great, and so they end up doing cash out refinances with us on their entire portfolio. No, that's great. I, I definitely think so. I've even done bundle loans where I bundled properties together and said, "Hey, give me a commercial loan for all four of these properties." It's there's so many ways to invest in real estate and getting financing, so many ways to get funding for the properties, even finding properties, so many ways to do all this stuff that a lot of people who get started, they don't really understand that there's great ways. Now, when there are great, lots of great ways to actually get financing and funding and um, finding the properties, but then talking to somebody like you now, with being a hard money lender, is that something that, because you, you, I want to touch a little bit more on, you invest more on the property as opposed to the, you know, like somebody's, uh, you know, credit score. Like you're looking more at the property. So tell me a little bit more about that because if I'm, because there's a term called analysis paralysis. I know you know that. People get a little too like, oh my goodness, is this really going to make me money? I'm not, I'm not going to pull the trigger because I'm not so sure. But it seems like you're going to be looking at the deals to tell them, hey, this is a bad deal. Don't buy it. Or we're not going to lend it. So you might not want to buy it. Tell me a little bit about that. Do you help them to also look at the deal? 
So I would say a majority of the responsibility will still ultimately rely on the borrower. Uh, we do look at the deal in the sense that if these numbers completely don't make sense, then obviously we're not going to do a loan or we're going to lower our loan amount so that it's safe for us. Um, our team, that's why, I mean, that's why ultimately they still do um, appraisals and they do their own backend desktop appraisals to make sure the valuation is still there. And even though the borrower thinks that the purchase price is worth so much higher than the actual valuation, we can tell them, hey, we think it's actually worth this much. So we'll lend up to a certain amount, but you have to cover the rest. You know, when it comes to like checking on their credit score and on the borrower's qualifications, there's a whole range of hard money loans out there. So if you think about two different like, uh, sides to lending, you have institutional lenders like uh, conventional financing, Wells Fargo, Chase, right? These guys are big banks. They talk to thousands of people on a daily basis and they need to put everyone into this nice little box. So if you don't fit this box, they won't do a loan for you. But because this box is predefined and if you do fit in this box, they can give you the absolute best rates. Owner occupied, single family home, 3% or 3.5%, fixed rate, 30 fixed Great. On the flip side, on the very end of the spectrum is private money lending. They have no box. They are your friends, your family members, and they can give you a loan for any amount and they can give you a loan for any terms and they don't have to worry about anything because they're money. But generally speaking, private money loans are going to be more expensive because again, they don't really know who you are and it's their own money. So they feel more uh, conflicted giving it to you at 3%. For us, we're in the hard money lending side. We're also, we also have a spectrum. Uh, with the company that I work for, we're going to be more a little bit on the institutional side where we still check your credit. We will still do an appraisal on the property. We do a little bit more due diligence. However, our rates are going to be better. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you have these hard money lenders that will give loans to anybody. You know, As long as you're alive, as long as you can sign something, they'll give you a loan for 15% and four points. It's very high, right? But again, they don't care about anything. They'll just give you the money. We're going to be a little bit cheaper. We're going to be in the mid eights, low nines and charge one point up front. So again, there's a spectrum for everything. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Now, have you thought of, in your scaling your business, you definitely now are getting to multifamily and stuff like that. If somebody were to think, I wanna start investing and I'm gonna start with single family homes, is that something we should ascribe to or you know, try and you know, desire to get to where we're getting multifamily, getting in different types of investments or should we do something different? Are you saying like, what do you think is my uh, preferred method of getting started if you're brand new? Not necessarily getting started. We've already got started. We've already bought the first property. We're trying to make passive income. And then we, we bought, let's say, three, four, maybe even 10 properties. It, should we start moving towards multifamily, you know, more doors? Personally, I think so. Um, I, know, I don't know about you, but when it comes to my paperwork and the amount of like mental, I guess, attention you have to put on every property, it doesn't scale very well if you only have single family properties. So the way I think about it is for every property you own, you have three documents. You have a mortgage, insurance, and property taxes that you handle every single year. Now, if you had 30 single family properties, that's 90 pieces of paper that you have to worry about. Whereas if you had one 30 unit complex, that's only three. So I guess it's a balance of your own time. Like even today with my wife, we had to go and look at our documents and we found out that one of our insurance policies was being billed twice for the same property. So because we have so many properties, it's, it uh, escaped us it's for many months until, yeah, I've been there. Exactly, until we did, did a, a deep dive and realized, oh my God, like we're paying double here. So luckily we called the agents and then they corrected it for us. But I mean, these things happen, right? I agree. And juggling mortgages and all that sort of stuff. Like it's, it is definitely, I personally like the monopoly, the game monopoly, that model where you start with land and you build, not saying you need to buy land first, but 
you grow. Like you start small and you keep moving forward and eventually you get to hotels, which that's where you start making the big bucks. That's why hotels, there are lots like all over the place because they rent it out per day and they have multiple, like, you know, hundreds of doors that they, if one's not rented, that's fine. There's two more over there that's rented as well to help pay for it. So in growing from, I guess the question is, because there's syndication where you hire or not, you invest with some another company, you basically just give them your money. Is that the right way to go? Or did you go, well, I said kind of two questions. Is that the right way to go? But also, would you, did you go the route of starting and finding your own 30 unit or you know 12 unit or whatever it might be? Yeah, so I haven't done a syndication yet. Everything that we've owned is 100% ours. I've been approached several times, right? Because I have a podcast, I have a social platform. I've been approached several times by other syndicators who want to bring me on board to help raise money for their deals. I'm thinking about it, but I'm not 100% quite yet. And I also haven't participated as a limited partner in any syndications yet. For right now, I feel like because we are in that growing phase still, the $50,000 that we would use to put in an LP is better used on ourselves, on our own investments, on you know learning the systems and whatnot. So yeah, long story short, we haven't done any of that yet. Oh, that's great. No, I, I completely agree. So I'm at the point in my life and the business business that I have, like, we're blessed to have plenty of money coming in that I was like, okay, well, here's a syndication deal. If it's, you know, minimum of $50,000, I can say, Hey honey, should we invest in that? And we analyze it, see if we really want to, we can, you know, because we're not in the growing phase in a sense where I, for, for 10 years, when I was 27 years old, I no, actually it was 26. I read the book, rich dad, poor dad. And I said, I'm going to quit my job in 10 years. Robert Kiyosaki did it. I'm going to make sure that I quit my job in 10 years, whether I can or not, I'm going to, it's a deadline. I'm going to do it. And so my goal, I was in the growing phase. I was like, I got to get as many properties. I got over 30 properties. Eventually I had enough money. I didn't need to work anymore. And I was like, well, I'm going to quit. Why am I working? This is for suckers. I'm going to quit. And so that was in the growing phase. So every single penny went to the next property. But now, you know, starting other companies and just making so much money, I'm like, well, we have a little bit extra money. Let's go ahead and put it in the syndication, which is after the growth phase. Like, like I don't get me wrong. I'll still continue to grow, still create businesses, buy more properties. But it's an option as you get bigger. It's like, man, let's just, instead of parking our money in like the stock market or something else, and I don't really want to spend the time to buy a whole nother place because I have so many other things going on. Let me just park it over here. But in thinking about you, tell me a little bit about your buying this um, multifamily property. And was that much more difficult? Or was it very similar like process to buying a single family home? Yeah, I guess just to clarify. So the most that we have in a single unit or I guess single property is four units. So we haven't gone past, you know, five unit properties right yeah. now. We are under contract for a seven property portfolio. So this one is actually seven single family homes. And again, this kind of goes contrary to what I said earlier about <laughs> the headache. Well, no, no, no. And there's it's, going to be a big headache. <laughs> it's then, but it's not in a sense where it's, it's not necessarily going contrary. You're doing what is the deal that's in front of you. Cause I have a lot of students there's, they ask me the questions like, should I use my down payment or should I use my money to buy a property all cash? Should I use it for down payment or should I do this or should I do that? I'm like, whatever deal comes in front of you, it doesn't matter. Like if you set your sights on just one specific type of deal, you're going to miss lots of other great things that could definitely come your way and be really good deals. So you might aspire to one, you know, more doors, get all that sort of stuff. That's the, but you have a great deal in front of you. At least that's my perspective. What do you think? Exactly. And I'll give you a little bit of insight about this particular deal and why we thought it was attractive. So first of all, um, this seven property portfolio is already managed by our property manager. So the transition is going to be very smooth. Tenants won't even know the difference. 
And we're able to get it at a relatively good discount, right? over 20% for the portfolio because we are buying the whole thing in bulk. Another thing that's cool too is that we have financing set up in such a way that we actually don't have to put in much money into the actual deal itself. And what I mean by that is when we buy the seven property portfolio, we are getting a commercial loan on it and uh, they're offering 85% LTV. So 85% of this portfolio can be uh, financed. And then you ask, okay, what happens to 15%? Is that what I have to contribute? Well, luckily we also own some properties in that market free and clear. So we can cross collateralize, which means that you're taking equity from the properties that we already own free and clear and use that equity as a 15% down payment for this portfolio. So in essence, he says, okay, you have this property and you have this bundle of properties. We're going to just cross collateralize everything. And so you actually have to pay no money. So we're going to pay like a couple of thousand for closing costs and for the earnest money deposit, but then everything else is going to be taken care of by this loan. So it was nice. That's was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Can I ask how much, you might've said it, maybe I didn't hear it, but uh, how much in passive income from these seven properties you would make? Uh, you know, I wish I had those numbers off the top of my head, but on average, they are renting for about 650 or so per door. So it's multiply 650 times seven. But so, but after, so, Sorry, okay, so that's, that's gross. the gross income. Gross. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So I love the idea. Now let's just say your minimum of $200 a month in passive income. That's the minimum that you're going to be making. $2,000, maybe let's, let's round it up $5,000 of your own personal cash into a deal to then make $200 a month from every property. That's $1,400. Remember seven, seven properties, $200 a month. That's $1,400 a month out of only $5,000 out of your own pocket in what four months in three months, you'll have all your money back and you'll be making money after that. So that's the beautiful thing about real estate is you continually can leverage other properties to buy more properties, get financing and all that sort of stuff. And just so little money. If somebody would come to me, like Sean, if you came to me and say, Hey, Dustin, give me five grand. I'll give you $1,400 a month in passive income forever until you get, you know, you want to sell out. I'm like done deal. I'll definitely do that. Absolutely. So we thought it was a good opportunity and we figured, okay, like we have the capability to do it. We already have the funds. Um, yeah, let's go for it. What market is that in? What city? So we're over in Georgia. Cool. I have a student. I was literally just got a call with a student of mine investing in Georgia. I think it's like Columbus, Georgia, um, that he's investing in some good properties. And I love the Midwest down in the you know Carolinas and Florida, like really, really good properties that give cash flow. So as we're, Sean, as we're scaling our business, we're trying to, we're watching for deals. We're growing our property, growing our business. How do we know when it's time to actually leave, you know, leave our job? Uh, a good opportunity to leave your job is when you feel comfortable um, knowing that the passive income you get is consistent enough to support your expenses. Um, I, for us, we were definitely at that point. And the thing is, we also had other opportunities too. And we felt that our time would be more valuable doing those things versus staying at our full-time career. That was basically it for me. Now, I, d- I definitely want to talk about, so you're on Instagram, correct? I mean, you have a good amount of followers on Instagram. Is that, because I know your wife definitely does. I mean, I, I, I checked out her Instagram account. I was like, oh my goodness, she's posting all the time too. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm about like 60, 68,000 right now on Instagram. It seems like that's a lot of work in its own to create uh, uh, something on Instagram, constantly be putting stuff out. Is that, is that rough? I guess a uh, long story short, I have been posting, I'm doing content creation for about three years now first with my own podcast and then with the YouTube channel. Uh, then with my wife, Sharon, she got really big on TikTok about a year and a half ago. And then I was not doing it, even though she kept pushing me to do it. And then about three months ago or so, I tried TikTok and really taking it seriously. And then my account just blew up to 1.1 million. 
So it's really intense. Yeah, I, I surpassed her. It was really weird. Uh, but then just by reposting those same videos on Instagram, the account also increased. So I didn't really do any extra work. In three months, you boosted to 1.1 million? It actually took me one month. Yeah. Well, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you did, but you did it right, apparently. But then I love the idea of repurposing. I mean, everything that I do for Master Passive Income, Successful Employed, as best I can, I'll repurpose the same content over and over again. It's just so much better to do that. So that's brilliant. But okay, what's the trick to to go from in one month to from zero to one million? See, the algorithm is very strange. And sometimes a video that just hits right goes crazy. And the thing is, I can't really tell you the exact thing right now because it's not gonna have consistently like 12 million view videos right it was that one video hit 12 million and then because it was in the same niche it just boosted up a lot wow so i personally man it's it's interesting with like instagram and youtube and uh uh, tiktok like you're at the mercy of their their algorithm i've been working hard on youtube to build up master passive income youtube channel like making three videos a week and it's growing so slow i'm like man this is horrible this guy what, be what are you ways. at right now for 4800 i think okay and how long have you been doing it for so i started right around uh middle of 2020 so i guess okay. a year and a half now so i have a year over you and i'm only at 6800 so we're you know like i understand the frustration it's it's hard it is it is but but hey what's great is the people that do find us you know our platforms we, we can help them that's the best thing. We can help them out. They we're at a place that they want to be. And so we're blessed. Like that's what, when you mentioned that, you know, you were bored, you basically had, you know, we need things to do. I just put my attention completely towards, you know, coaching and teaching. Cause I was like, man, I don't want to work for somebody else. That was the last thing I want to do was work for somebody else and be locked down. But it sounds like yours is a great fit. Now, do you close your own loans? Like, do you go through your same company and all that sort of stuff that you work for, for your properties? Yeah. Unfortunately, I can't do my own loans because it's like a conflict of interest. So when I do have my flip projects, I go with my coworker and I say, Hey, do my loan for me. But then of course, as I know the insides, I can be like, Hey, well, let's like negotiate. (laughs) Exactly. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, good for you. Okay. So is there any tips that we should, any, any lessons that you've gone through, like any, any really bad things that have happened that you can share with us, like lessons learned in your real estate investing and being able to be where you're at? I could totally share a very bad thing that happened to me. So I say when I was still working as an engineer full-time um, and I was buying properties one at a time, they were great, cash flow very well, but the problem is it's slow and it's relatively boring. Like I mentioned, once you have the team set up, there's nothing interesting about it. You just buy more properties and then you need to save up more for a down payment, buy another property, et cetera. So I was thinking about a way to quickly generate cash and that was from flipping houses. So the first flip I did I got super lucky, very fortunate. We made $300,000 in profit over one deal over what a three month period. So I was thinking, wow, this is easy. I can just do this over and over again. Why do I have a full-time job? This is dumb. Then the next year I had a big fat head and I started picking up more and more properties. But the biggest mistake I did was I picked up multiple properties at the same time when I was still new. When you're still new, you don't have your systems in place yet. You don't have that contracting team that you're really good yet. Uh, and of course, because you're new, you may not have as much funds. So I was okay financially if one property didn't go well, but the problem is I picked up multiple properties and they all didn't go well at the same time. Ouch. Very, very painful. And that's why I tell people, Hey, if you're new, take your time, take it slow. You can afford to have hiccups here, right? Like you may lose money. 
Um, but don't, don't be like me and have a big fat head and pick up four flips at the same time and have only one contract secured to do all of them. Because when the market shifts, every property you own is going to go down too. That's a definitely a huge lesson. So is there any advice you would go back and give your younger self? Real estate is a long-term play. And if I look back now, we we're very successful because of the long-term moves that I've made. The properties that I bought in Florida like four or five years ago have almost doubled in value because that market, I chose the right market and the rents have increased, all that stuff, amazing. But things I've done, in, things I did wrong was when I got too greedy and I wanted to just get a lot of money really quickly. So if I just took my time, I would have only done one or two flips at once instead of trying to do four at the same time. That makes a lot of sense. Now you're getting married soon, right? So we're already married on paper, but yes, we're going to have our ceremony uh, next month. That's, that's exciting. I'm, I'm happy for you guys. And so you. you're, wait, I remember something. You're in Texas now, but yes. you're having the reception back in California? Yep. Oh, you fly back for that. That's fun. Well, most of our family is in California. You know, like we actually don't have many friends or family here in Texas. This is more like a move because we want to be closer to our real estate projects have more opportunities and grow our network while also living somewhere else. Cause we've been in California for most of our lives. I got it. That's great. Well, I hope everything goes well with the traveling and everything like that in the, the, uh, the wedding. So people are going to want to find out more about you, Sean, and also definitely check out, check out your awesome TikTok channel with a million, a million followers. Uh, tell us how they can find you. How can they can follow you? Yeah. So if you guys want to follow me on Instagram and TikTok, my handle is at Sean loves real estate. It's all one word. Uh, don't fall for the scammers who have extra periods or underscores in that name because they will ask you for your crypto and that's not me. So <laughs> it's all one word, Sean loves real estate. I also have a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Sean Pan invests, and also a website, uh, everythingrei.com. And if you guys also want to hear, uh, you know, real estate investing content on a podcast, I also have my own podcast, the everything real estate investing show. Fantastic. It's a good show. I would have to brag. I was on there already. So that I, I felt lucky to be, out, be on there, your show. So Sean, it's great to have you on. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing it with the successfully unemployed audience. Today's episode has been brought to you by the Real Estate Wealth Builders membership. That's the membership that I founded teaching people how to quit their J-O-B by investing in real estate rental properties. Now, Real Estate Wealth Builders is your place to learn how to invest in real estate with five different masterclass courses group coaching with me and a private student community where we all work together, all the tools and the discounts, all the resources and everything that you need to quit your J-O-B by investing in real estate. Now, I do want to show you how to do this completely for free. If you want to learn about investing in real estate for free, I want to get you my free real estate investing course. Text the word rental to 33777. That's R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777 so you can see how you can quit your job that J-O-B by investing in real estate. I'll show you how to find properties, how to use other people's money to buy properties, and how to scale the business to be successfully unemployed just like I did. Now, did you also know that there are video versions of each and every single episode on the Successfully Unemployed show? Well, I did record every single one of these for you. I recorded them for you so you will be able to learn from the experts themselves, see what they're doing, see everything that they are talking about on this show visually and all their examples, all their slides, all their pictures that they even draw. 
Everything is on there. Go to successfullyunemployed.co forward slash YouTube. Or if you just go to YouTube and type in successfully unemployed, more than likely you're going to find me. So successfullyunemployed.co forward slash YouTube. And I would truly appreciate it if you subscribe to Successfully Unemployed on YouTube and wherever you're listening to this podcast, subscribe to this show so that you can always get every bit of new information on how to quit your J-O-B. Also, if you got anything out of the show, share it with just one person. Share it with just one person so that they can see the light that it is so much better to not work a job, be successful, unemployed, and be your own boss. All right, guys, this is it for today's show. I will see you next week. See ya. See ya.